0: This episode of Onward to Victory is proudly presented by our friends at wcscreens.com, the banner sponsor for the entire 2023 season. If you have needs with screen printing, embroidery, or more, please check out our pals at West Coast Screen Printing and Embroidery at wcscreens.com. As reliable as the old buttonhook pass or toss sweep, they have nationwide shipping and wholesale pricing. Not only are they big supporters of this podcast, but like you, They are also diehard fans of the Fighting Irish. So where are they at? WcScreens.com And on with the show. Notre Dame football has a rather storied cinematic history. There is the 1931 feature called the Spirit of Notre Dame, which featured appearances by the Four Horsemen and other Irish luminaries. Less than a decade later, in 1940, saw Knut Rockne All-American, which also really served as a flashpoint in the career of future president Ronald Reagan, while making the name of George Gipp famous across millions of American households. Also, don't forget the modern classic, 1994's Rudy, about the journey of walk-on Rudy Rudiger, played by Sean Astin. For many in my generation, as well as those older and younger, this one may have helped define your impressions of the University of Notre Dame, as well as Notre Dame football. But how about 1965's John Goldfarb, Please Come Home? Does it ring any bells? I'll tell you, it even had some A-list talent among the cast and crew. But uh, at any rate, this is the one that Notre Dame officials tried their damnedest to not have released. They even resorted to legal efforts. So what's the story here? Buckle up those chin straps, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. December Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays welcome to onward to victory a Notre Dame football podcast my name is Alex Painter thank you for being here today no matter what it is that we are or what we do we do all indeed share one commonality and that is all of our days are exactly 24 hours long so thank you for spending some of yours with me here today it's pretty wild that 2023 is wrapping up already it's been one of those years that has gone really quickly i think now this is a conversation we have about this time each and every year it seems but this one just really flew by and i had a major job change around the midpoint of it so i've been in the whirlwind the past several months so that may be part of it but what about you has the year gone as quickly as it seemed Sitting in Mass this past Sunday, I really kind of struggled with the fact that here we are. We're in Advent season, but I guess that's how it goes sometimes. And given that we are at the end of the year, how about a quick 2023 recap? First, I'm proud to say that it projects to be the biggest year in show history in terms of listens, downloads, followers gained, uh, pretty much every metric So a big thank you, and I mean a big thank you for that. Year five proved to be a real winner in the show's history books. Uh, But in terms of episodes, it was another bustling year. We started 2023 with episode number 74, which covered the history of Notre Dame head football coaches converting to Catholicism. And here we are ending with episode number 90. So that means this is the 17th episode of the year. So which ones were the most popular, you may ask? Well, here's a quick top five. Coming in at number five was episode number 83 about Notre Dame linebacker Myron Patios and the early history of the Linebacker Lounge, that famous bar right across the street from campus. Perhaps you've been there a time or two. Episode number 77 came in at number four, which was the first installment of the iconic Sights at Notre Dame series. The first installment was about the Word of Life mural at the Hesburgh Library. This was better known, I guess is better known, as Touchdown Jesus. The third most popular episode of the year was the aforementioned episode 74, About Notre Dame head coaches converting to Catholicism. This really detailed the, at the time, recent conversion of current head coach Marcus Freeman, but I also took the opportunity to speak on coach Knute Rockney's conversion in the 1920s and really took a swing at, I don't know, perhaps uh, more properly contextualizing just the significance of that. Number two, the second most popular episode of the year, so the runner up was episode number 82 which was the anniversary special where legendary Notre Dame quarterback and longtime pro Terry Hanratty, who was Notre Dame's signal caller from 1966 through 1968 and was an All-American in 1968 and, of course, led the 1966 team to the national championship. He graciously joined the show and offered his perspective about a wide myriad of topics and Terry and I kind of bounced some ideas back and forth after that episode, and uh, he kind of expressed an interest in podcasting. So lo and behold, that episode actually kind of springboarded uh, a little bit of an endeavor himself for Terry into podcasting. So he has his own podcast now. So make sure you go check that out. And as far as the most popular episode of the year, and it has been this way for the last three years anyway, was the annual season preview episode. So this year, I had my younger brother, Colton, join me for the soiree. But it was truly a great year, even a remarkable year. So thank you for being part of it. And of course, always know that all of the older episodes can be accessed in the archives with a simple click of a button wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I've said it once, twice, probably 30, 40, 50 times on the show, and that is... Our episodes, the episodes, I should say, are intended to be a little bit timeless, kind of a history lesson on the go uh, about Notre Dame or Notre Dame football. There aren't too many episodes across show history that are kind of dated, if you will. Obviously, the season preview episodes are uh, based on the season. But again, the idea of the show, if you're new around here, is that you can kind of get a grab-and-go history lesson about Notre Dame or uh, you know, get a really good story. And so please, by all means, wherever you listen to your podcast, feel free to jump into the archives of the show and access all of the old episodes. They stand up for the most part, I believe. So I've had this particular episode idea in the queue for quite a while and I decided to run with it as the movie we will be talking about was initially supposed to be that Christmas Day blockbuster of 1964 This ultimately didn't happen, and we will kind of discuss why. I decided to run with this one because, you know, the Christmas season, it didn't seem appropriate to do an offering on the Irish potato famine and its direct and indirect effects, not only on Ireland and America, but also the University of Notre Dame. That one seemed like a bit of a downer. But don't fret if you have an interest in the Irish potato famine. That's going to be an episode for the off-season, and uh, I do plan on it uh, being released, again, during the doldrums of the off-season. But it'll be a good little history lesson on, uh, you know, the effects of the famine, which were catastrophic, but also kind of the cause and effect to the University of Notre Dame. All right, so this movie, again, called John Goldfarb, Please Come Home, was loosely And by loosely, I mean very loosely, based on the story of CIA operative Francis Gary Powers. Alright, so let's do some stage setting. The year is 1960, so speaking very generally, things aren't exactly uh, peachy keen as far as geopolitical relations between the United States of America and the Soviet Union. But Powers was one of those daring dudes, and he was on a reconnaissance mission. Deep in Soviet territory. Needless to say, this was kind of a no no, (laughs) if you will, at the time, but he was actually shot down. His single seat jet plane was taken down by Soviet fire. Uh, Powers actually did survive and parachuted safely to the ground, but he was captured shortly thereafter. World War II hero Dwight Eisenhower is the President of the United States at this time, and he assures and reassures and reassures Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev that the plane was actually a weather plane that had strayed off course because Powers had issues with his oxygen, which, you know, would have made him so incoherent that he flew straight into Soviet territory at, oh, 70,000 feet or so. But there was an issue with this story. Despite Eisenhower and his administration sticking to it, Khrushchev and the Soviets knew they were lying through their teeth. The problem with Powers' plane is that when it crash-landed, it actually didn't break apart in very many pieces. In fact, it was recovered nearly fully intact. And his tools for espionage, chiefly his high-altitude camera and photographs of Soviet military bases, were also recovered. So tensions ran fairly high between the countries over this whole incident. And after being interrogated by the KGB for a couple months and kept in solitary confinement, which sounds wretched, Powers admitted to his role in the espionage. So again, this is 1960, and to make a long story short, he was eventually exchanged in August of 1962. So now we are in the Kennedy administration. And you know these Hollywood types, right? So someone by the name of William Peter Blatty is absolutely enamored with this whole incident, and he decided to write a script that was part inspired by the events surrounding powers, but also a full-blown spoof. Now I'm going to read you the movie synopsis here in a moment, and it's going to sound a little ridiculous. But keep in mind here, uh, just to kind of come to the aid of my guy here, Mr. Blatty, who just passed away in 2017, so a few years ago, he also wrote the book and the screenplay for the absolute horror classic, The Exorcist. So despite what it might sound like, Blatty is going to eventually have some serious cachet. So a movie was eventually written, filmed, and produced. Again, it was called John Goldfarb. Please come home. The production studio was 20th Century Fox, and as I mentioned a moment ago, there was quite a bit of talent on the film's muster role. So, for instance, Shirley MacLaine played one of the lead roles of Jenny. More on that in a moment. But Harry Morgan from M.A.S.H. was in the film as a government official. Richard Crenna, who was in the Rambo movies, played the titular role of Goldfarb. And believe it or not, this one actually really threw me. John Williams did the music of the movie. And talk about a living legend there, with more blockbuster scores under his belt than anyone in history. So here is a synopsis of the movie, uh, according to an article written in the Notre Dame Alumni Magazine. John Goldfarb Please Come Home is a farce, inspired by the Francis Gary Powers incident, in which a United States spy crash-lands over enemy lines. In this movie, Wrong Way Goldfarb, a former football player, ends up in the fictitious Middle Eastern country of Fawzia. Goldfarb and the U.S. Department of State are strong-armed into arranging a football game between Notre Dame and Fawz University in an effort to smooth over the incident. The King of Fawzia is no fan of Notre Dame, who cut his scrawny son... (laughs) From the football team, the CIA schemes for Notre Dame to throw the game in the name of international relations, end quote. By the way, here's the exchange between the king and his son, Amud, who was cut from the Irish team. So Amud tells his father that he has failed to make the Notre Dame football team because, quote, I not Irish. They not want Arab. They want fighting Irish. Want whole team Irish. So the king, Fawz, bellowing in a fury, roars Irish. Irish? the Irish prince better than Arab. Better than Arab prince? He then says, I'll fix those lousy Irish. I'll fix them. I'll fix them. And I'd like to note that I kind of clean this up a little bit as the characters are kind of stereotypically using fairly broken English. But yeah, I guess hopefully what you're picking up here is it's probably about as good as it sounds you're not going to find anyone who said <laughs> you're not gonna find anyone who says this is their favorite movie but if you are curious the whole thing is up on youtube and admittedly i didn't watch the entire thing but i did watch most of the third act which is the football game in which notre dame is depicted and i'll just say it plain shirley MacLaine, who is portraying jenny who is actually an investigative reporter turned cheerleader for Fawz university again about as cool as it sounds actually suits up for the very last play of the game and scored a dramatic touchdown where she runs the complete wrong direction to the opposite end zone and then reverses course and bobs and weaves through a pack of golden domers to score the game-winning touchdown At the very last second, so that way Fawz University wins and Mr. Goldfarb can go home. As she's galloping to the end zone in the climactic moments of the game, she's kind of quipping to the Notre Dame players as she goes, such as, and I'm quoting this directly, she says, uh, No, 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 no. Naughty, naughty. Or, you can't tackle me, you fool. I'm abroad. (laughs) Pretty cringy. And I'm sure McLean has likely buried this movie in the memories of an otherwise obviously very illustrious career. It's super cringy. But the film is made and meant to be the Christmas 1964 blockbuster from 20th Century Fox. And it was presented to the press and the critics as such in the months ahead. The movie even graced a July 1964 cover of Sports Illustrated which depicted McLean leaving a couple Notre Dame football players in the dust while carrying the football. Don't forget, S.I., the cover of it, it was a big deal then. It's kind of like being on the cover of Rolling Stone. I likely don't need to remind folks here that the cover of those periodicals uh, elevated tons of folks to iconic status. And I'll say this about the film. Despite being inherently light, humorous, not super serious, Some aspects you have to give them credit for. This is from that 1964 issue of Sports Illustrated. Quote, Even in a football motion picture that is designed to be humorous, there must be traces of realism. Therefore, Fox spent $12,000 building an actual football field in the middle of the desert. Workmen spread two inches of soil over the sand, then laid down six-by-eight-foot strips of Kentucky bluegrass that had been trucked in from a turf farm. To keep the grass alive, the studio brought in more trucks equipped with sprinkler systems to shower 10,000 gallons of water a day on the playing field. Around the field it erected a grandstand complete with a king's throne, ornate goalposts, minarets, and a scoreboard straight out of Baghdad, a phony palace facade propped up by two by fours, and some studio palm trees. The only trees anywhere near Dry Lake. End quote. So again, I will say, uh, kind of watching most of the movie, like Notre Dame does play a bit of a, a comic foil, if you will. And they aren't portrayed particularly well. And uh, I'm going to go into that in here in a moment. But as you might imagine, there was one group of folks that was none too pleased about the movie. And you guessed it. That was the University of Notre Dame, and in particular... Father Ted Hesburgh, who was the president of the university. Campus officials decided the best course of action was actually litigation, an attempt to stop the film from being released at all. But why? Well, here's Father Hesburgh himself. In a a December 9th, 1964 article in the campus newspaper, The Voice, Father Hesburgh gave a somewhat 30,000-foot perspective on the university's objections. Quote, its climax is a scene in the King's Harem in which Notre Dame players, under the influence of harem girls, are depicted as undisciplined gluttons and drunks, and the game the following day in which Notre Dame players, dressed in the uniforms of the university, led by a violent and vulgar coach, befuddled by the previous evening's revelry, and in the grip of nausea, are defeated by their challengers. End quote. Yep, yeah, but if one were to dig into the affidavit a bit that they submitted to the court, uh, which I found in a separate issue of the Alumni Magazine, Father Hesburgh speaks elegantly, as you may expect. He wrote, quote, I have read both the book and the script of the motion picture and am informed that the motion picture as filmed closely follows the theme and dialogue of both script and book. In book, script, and movie alike, Repeated and unauthorized use is made of the name, symbols, and other indicia of the University of Notre Dame for commercial purposes, and in a manner and context which has caused and will cause irreparable injury to the high prestige, reputation, and goodwill of the university, its administration, and its students, and the value and to the value of its name and symbols which are rightfully the property of Notre Dame. This illegal misappropriation, dilution, and exploitation by defendants for their private profit has been carried out by the defendants without seeking or obtaining Notre Dame's consent and over its objection." End quote. So a lot of kind of court speak there, but I think you probably get the gist of it. But And this seems all fair. Um, again, this complaint comes by way of a 1965 issue of the Alumnus magazine. He continues, Father Hesberg, that is continues, quote: "As a private institution, the university is dependent for its financial support upon gifts by its alumni, industrial corporations, trustees, and the public, both to increase its endowment and to meet its current operating expenses." End quote. So Father Hesberg's argument and the university's argument in this lawsuit is a feasible one i think i mean they're fearing that how the university and the football team is depicted and the coaches are depicted in this movie could potentially hamper hamstring their ability to effectively fundraise or could damage the reputation of the university all of these things we can all wrap our heads around and if it seemed like hey hesberg seemed father hesberg pardon me was prepared for this well he was actually so we are talking mid-1964 at this point But the university actually received a copy of the script in May 1962. So Father Hesburgh and Father Edmund Joyce, another titan in Notre Dame history, who served as Father Ted's executive vice president for his entire tenure, and also the Joyce Center is named for Father Joyce, just in case you were curious. But at any rate, Joyce and Hesburgh reviewed the script together and sent it packing back to 20th Century Fox Studios, with heavy suggestions, uh, chiefly, uh, is essentially, we don't permit you to use the university or any of its assets for this film. Obviously, since we're here, we know that the words of Hesberg and Joyce were roundly ignored. So, the lawsuit was on, ding ding. But on the eve of the film's planned release, New York Supreme Court Justice Henry Clay Greenberg blocked the film's release. This signaled a victory for Hesburgh-Joyce and Notre Dame Nation. But an excerpt from his 19-page opinion, this is uh, Justice Greenberg, that is, when, as such. This is from the New York Times, by the way. Quote, The glaringly evident purpose and effect of the defendants tacking on of the name and symbols of Notre Dame were to capitalize on the commercial value such name and symbols had acquired in the minds of the consuming public this is a clear case of commercial piracy and in no way is this design decision pardon me intended to nor does it restrict the legitimate conduct of the press or the expression of free speech end quote so essentially 20th century fox was saying notre dame is infringing upon our first amendment rights of free speech Now, this became a very public case, and as is a lot of public cases as it pertains to free speech, uh, the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union, ended up getting uh, engaged on behalf of the studio. So ultimately, the victory that the campus uh, experienced in uh, the New York Supreme Court was short-lived. Fox appealed the decision, and a month later and a five-judge appellate court unanimously reverse Judge Greenberg's decision. So then that case went to an appeals court, which enabled the release of the film, ultimately. It was deemed that since the movie was a spoof and a lampoon film, and was so utterly ridiculous and farcical, it wasn't grounds to block its release. And Notre Dame didn't try to appeal the appeal. So I guess if push comes to shove, we can say it this way. John Goldfarb, Please Come Home, was released in mid-1965 as opposed to December Christmas of 1964. And hey, the film actually kind of bombed. And just the next year, 1966, Notre Dame won a national championship, and I'll be right back with show rap. All right. So if you were like, Hey, that was really weird. I've not heard of any of that. Yeah, this is one of those things that got quickly overshadowed by, I mean, aside from just not being a very good movie, um, it got quickly overshadowed, I think, just because it didn't do well at the box office. It didn't do well. That is John Goldfarb, Please Come Home, didn't do well uh, from a critic standpoint. And then, you know, Notre Dame just kind of kept being Notre Dame and their star continued to ascend. And this thing just kind of got forgotten as the pages of history have turned or the hands of time have turned whatever expression i'm going for there so there's i guess two camps of people i guess the people who had no idea this was even ever a thing and that notre dame went to court to try to block a film's release that they thought portrayed them and did portray them in a negative light and then there's others who might be like oh yeah i remember when that movie came out or, i remember hearing about that movie uh one time guest of the show katherine kiefer wrote uh, on our Facebook post to say, like, oh, I remember, um, you know, my grandfather, who was class of 1955, was not too pleased about this movie. And so I imagine there might be a few people out there who might remember some things like that. But but no matter where it is that you fall on this kind of bizarre incident in Notre Dame history. I hope you just enjoyed that uh, brief synopsis. And it was quite fun kind of digging into the affidavit, seeing what Father Hesberg had to say about the film, what the judges had to say about the film. Uh, These are the kinds of things that interest me. But if you have heavy opinions about this episode, please, by all means, shoot me an email at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com or send the show a Facebook message. Uh, again, I appreciate you being here today. And a big 2024 is in store. Uh, rest assured, got several really compelling episode ideas, got some other ideas to celebrate the show's uh, fifth anniversary, uh, if you will. So we we're the show was founded in 2019. So 2024 marks the fifth anniversary which we're really excited about. I can't lie. Who would have thought five years in? Still going and still going strong. And uh, so be sure you're tuned in. So uh, like, subscribe, do whatever it is you got to do to make sure you're getting all of the latest episodes. And this show does not happen without the support of not only WC Screens, who's our corporate banner sponsor, but also the individuals who donate to the show monetarily. So that is our consensus, all Americans, if you will, and this is a list of folks who have donated significantly in the past or are currently contributing, and that is Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Will Fuller of Warren, Ohio, Dr. Jeremy Scarlett of Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, and Andy Nickel of South Bend, Indiana. So thank you all, and if you want to join the ranks of the Consensus All-Americans, please feel free to visit the collection baskets, if you will, at paypal.me onwardtovictory or patreon.com slash Onward to Victory podcast. Again, if you're not in a position to give, I get it. But do do me a solid and like and subscribe, as I mentioned, or just share the podcast with your friends or family or someone, anyone who you might think would be interested. So I'm incredibly grateful for you all and really looking forward to 2024. So stick around and uh, good things are coming. Uh, exciting things are coming. So with that, I'll sign off. This has been Onward to Victory a Notre Dame football podcast. And in kindness, I am your host, Alex Painter. And as always, friends, go Irish.